0: Welcome to the Family Dream Magazine Podcast, the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. Our theme for this February 2015 episode is Online Genealogy Hints and Hacks. We will start with news from the blogosphere with Diane Haddad, who will be here to share what a quick Google search can do for your family history. Then we're going to continue on with Diane in our top tips segment to discuss her five favorite search strategies from the genealogy website guide that you'll find in the March-April issue of the magazine. And then in our 101 Best Website segment, we're going to dig into Facebook strategies for genealogy with Shannon Combs-Bennett, the presenter of Jumpstart Your Genealogy and Social Media. Then Tyler Moss is here to share tips from Family Tree University's latest course, Become a FamilySearch.org Power User. And finally, we'll head on over to the publisher's desk where Allison Dolan will be dishing up some computer and web browsing shortcuts that are definitely going to save you time. There's a lot to cover, so let's get to it. Our first stop is the news in the blogosphere with Diane Haddad. We're going to kick off this episode with news from the genealogy blogosphere. And that means Diane Haddad, managing editor of Family Tree Magazine, is here. Hi, Diane. Hi, Lisa. You know, Diane, our theme for this episode is online genealogy hints and hacks. And I noticed recently that you were blogging on the Genealogy Insider blog about some online research that you've been up to lately. Uh, You were Googling, were you not?
1: Yeah, we had... um this webinar coming up, which you actually did about Googling your genealogy. Yeah. And, and that's available in our online store for anyone who's interested. But that gave me the idea to just try a quick Google search just to see what I should find. So I did that, and this blog post is the results of that search. So it was kind of, I got some interesting things out of it.
0: Right. I saw that you first kind of just ran the basic search with keywords, right? Things that were related
2: to who you were looking for.
1: Yeah, I did the last name and then the word genealogy and then the place Kentucky. And that was my first, um, just my first quick attempt. I didn't even use a lot of tricks and still found some good things. And then um, right away, I could see Google it sometimes seems to think that it knows what I want. <laughs> so it was giving me um Thomas instead of the last name Thos. So then I used the quotation marks around the last name and then everything was focused on um, this family that I was looking for. So a couple of the The matches were from stuff I've posted, but then there were other ones. There were some obituaries, results in this local uh, genealogy database from a local library that has some pictures in it. There was, and I had already found this through other means, but um, it would have been a great find if it was brand new to me, was a list of early pioneers. And my fourth great-grandfather, I think, is on that list. And it had the place of birth in Germany. So that's kind of exciting oh, for yeah. <laughs> someone to find. Yeah. And then other results included um, automatically generated pages from like myheritageandancestry.com that... It's basically you click on it and then you see search results from that site relating to the name that you searched for.
0: Right. So you had um, a last name Thos, which was nice because it was a little unique. But even putting those quotation marks around the name, that told Google that the name had to appear exactly the way you typed it. And it has to be on every single search result that you get, which is a great way to kind of thin out all the stuff that was talking about genealogy in Kentucky, but didn't happen to mention your last name, right?
1: Right. And the good thing about this is it's so quick. You could do it in, you know, a coffee break at work or something, and you just yeah. go down through the list and try it for every person in your tree. So I purposefully wanted to keep it quick and simple, um, but there are a lot more Google tricks out there that people can use.
0: Absolutely. Well, first I should say that the name of that article, if you'd like to go and check it out and see all the examples of the things that she found, it's called What Can a Quick Google Search Find for Your Genealogy? It was uh, written up on January 21st of 2015. I'll have a link for you in the show notes.
1: Any other genealogy news we need to be aware of? Well, I think one thing people might be interested in is this website called Mapping the Bureau, and it is um, a website that can help people who are tracing African American roots find the records of the Freedmen's Bureau and the Freedmen's Bank as well, which are two great sources for post-Civil War research for recently freed enslaved people, and that can kind of help people sometimes jump back into slavery and figure out what was going on with their family at that time. And it's a site that you can view the branches of the Freedmen's Bureau or the Freedmen's Bank um, near places where your family was, and right. then um, you click through, and it takes you to the family search collections for that um, that branch.
0: Oh, it, it looks like an amazing site, and there's boy, there's nothing better than having everything mapped out. You can really visualize what's available. Um, so this is a great new resource and, um, it looks like the name of your article is new genealogy website helps you find African-American ancestors, Friedman's Bureau and Freeman's bank records. So, uh, those were both from January of 2015 and we'll have links in the show notes. Great stuff. Thank you. And, and I'm going to talk to you in the top tips segment. We're going to pick your brain a little bit more. Sounds Great. Well, as you know, our theme for this episode is online genealogy hints and hacks. And so I thought I'd invite Diane Haddad, managing editor of Family Tree Magazine, back for our top tips segment to give us some tips, some search tips from the March April issue, which was devoted to online research. Hi, Diane. Hi, Lisa. Well, this is probably, I'm guessing, one of the most popular issues you do all year long, and it's all about that online research. Not only is every article devoted to it, but then you've got all these search guides. Tell us a little bit how, first, the issues laid out.
1: Sure. It starts with sort of a package deal where um, there's an article that gives you advice on searching genealogy websites, your data sites like Ancestry.com and MyHeritage and FamilySearch, and then there's a quick guide to help you use each of those sites. So there's 10 sites in all. And then... Also, every other article in the issue is focused on some aspect of online research to help people really take advantage of what they can get online. Not to say that they should stop there, but it is—it's a great way um, for people to be able to find information about their ancestors that you know they wouldn't ordinarily be able to find without leaving home, you know, and taking more time.
0: Exactly. Now, of course, one of the the best groups out there. One of my favorite record groups is newspapers. And I know there's a article on that. How about five favorite search tips on what we can do online for newspapers, but also maybe that apply to other types of online searching.
1: Yeah. Well, I think newspapers is a great resource because you, first of all, you can find all kinds of things and they can point you to other records. Um, the example in the article, um, Rick Kroom is the, he's our online genealogy expert who put together this great package for us. And he gives the example of a relative he knew nothing about. And just by searching on the person's name, he was able to get started and he learned enough um, where he could search on the person's name plus um, other words that are associated with that person. So this guy had had a divorce. So he searched on the person's name and divorce and found out that the person's wife had filed and where it was, so then he could get the court records that documented the whole case. That's and I found a, that to be true in my own research as well.
0: Yeah, adding those, those keywords that are kind of unique to their situation and putting them together with the last names.
1: And the address works well like a street name, a neighborhood mm-hmm. name, if the person was involved in some group or activity. Um, that's a great search term to use in that keyword search box that you'll find with most uh, newspaper search websites.
0: Yeah, you know, not long ago, I went to the uh, the British newspaper website and they I did a search on the address that I had found in the census for my husband's great-grandfather, and I didn't include his name at all. And what was great was this, Um, classified article popped up and it was an auction at his address listing all the contents of his home saying that the owner was going abroad because, of course, they were going to immigrate in 1912. So here I got not only the event of something happening in his home, kind of the last thing that happened in England, but a listing of everything that they had in their home. It was amazing. Oh,
1: that is neat. Yeah, that's just one example of great things people can find.
0: So, what else should we do when we've taken those first steps? How do we uh, kind of flush it out even further?
1: Well, I think one great thing to do is to um, for people to really get comfortable on whatever genealogy site they're using. So, say you're trying ancestry.com for the first time, don't just search it once and then get frustrated because you find either tons of stuff or, or nothing. You know, keep trying different names, um, you know, get familiar with those search features filters that you can find on the site that let you either have an exact search or a really fuzzy search or add a broad date range or a narrow one. And MyHeritage has that kind of search features. Most sites do. And I would just advise people to keep trying and um, just build a comfort level with whatever website they're using.
0: I I have to agree with that because It's funny, sometimes we'll jump onto a website and, you know, you try a little something, doesn't work, you jump to the next one. But you wouldn't Mm -hmm. walk into an archive, spend five or ten minutes and go, ah, well, I'm going to the next one. (laughs) You know, you'd really get to know the archive, wouldn't you? And and all the collections and use your uh, research techniques. That's a great point. And then, of course, there are some very popular, if you talk about newspapers in particular, there's some very popular websites. You've mentioned a few that have newspaper records. Some sites are devoted to newspapers. But no matter what kind of records you're looking for, what do you think about trying all the different sites? Because there's so many different ones with different collections.
1: Sure. Different sites have different record collections or one site might have a birth index for whatever state your ancestor lived in. Another site might have actual birth records. So um, try both. See what you can find on both sites. And then another thing is that some sites have different indexes for a particular census like 1940. So you might find, um, search the 1940 census on one site and find a person and then on another site the name is indexed differently so you wouldn't find them. So um, try to use different sites. And I know you you don't want to subscribe to every single site out there <laughs> because that gets kind of expensive. Um, so one thing people can do is go to their public library, and a lot of libraries will have a version of the site that, like Ancestry Library Edition or MyHeritage has a library edition now, um, Fold 3, that you can use at the library, or sometimes even if you're a member of the library, you can use it from home via a link on the library's website. So check out that option. Family Search Centers, which are branches of the Family History Library, also have computers where you can use the different websites. And then um, many sites also will have free trial periods. So you register, you do have to enter your credit card, which is some kind kinda of touchy for people. But right. as long as you cancel before the end of the trial period, then you can have your free trial and then avoid the charges if you weren't planning to subscribe.
0: Mm, Those are all great ideas. And you know, you can always run a search in a subscription website. Particularly. I was thinking about newspapers, you know, sometimes multiple sites have the same papers. Uh, Even if you run a search in a subscription website, you can check and see if it's available anywhere else before you kind of invest your money to kind of make that decision about where to spend the money. All great tips. All right. Well, Lots of different strategies to use, and I guess the word is, is don't give up, and um, be flexible. Be kind of experimental, would you say?
1: Yes, that's exactly right, and happy searching to everybody.
0: In our 101 Best Websites for Tracing Your Family History segment, I want to talk about a website on the list that you might have been surprised to see, Facebook. I've invited Shannon Combs Bennett to join me to share why you might want to use Facebook for genealogy and some tips for doing so from her video class. It's called Jumpstart Your Genealogy and Social Media. Hi, Shannon. Hi, Lisa. You know, Shannon, I know that Facebook is becoming more and more popular among genealogists. What are some of the ways that genealogists are using Facebook to break down brick walls?
3: Oh gosh, there there's a lot. There really is. Um, when I started doing this webinar, I was amazed by actually all the information I found. But the biggest thing that I want to emphasize is that social media and Facebook is basically a great way for genealogists to do crowdsourcing. And I know from listening to this podcast, you've talked about it before. And crowdsourcing is a wonderful thing. But if you're not familiar with it, basically, you don't have to be alone anymore. You don't have to isolate yourself at home or in a library. Facebook is a great way where you can put your brick wall problems out there. And sometimes in actual real time within a few minutes or a few hours, you can start chipping away at those brick walls just by talking to other genealogists who might have a solution for you, one that you never thought of before.
0: Yeah, I find that so often. And it's almost like A little competition, don't you think? Oh, yeah. You put something out there and they want to see who can get the answer first. I love it.
3: Yeah. And then some people are like, oh, man, you beat me to it. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Or they can add a little something or, yeah, that's Facebook seems like these days is the first place I go when I need a little bit of input from the rest of the crowd. So, yeah, crowdsourcing, a way to pull together information and ask, you know, who knows something about this? Now, I know that you use Facebook on a regular basis for all different kinds of elements of genealogy, and I'd love to have you give us some specific tips. What is something that the genealogists could do today and use Facebook for to help them out?
3: Okay, so if you have a Facebook account, at the top of it is a search feature. And this search feature is the easiest way to find people and groups associated with your ancestors. Um, A lot of people really don't understand how much, or realize even, how much there is out there. You could very easily find a very specific group on Facebook that is researching an ancestral town or a town here that you're from, maybe even your hometown, or someone who does very specific ethnic research or a very specific point in time research. There are groups for literally... Almost anything you can imagine on Facebook. And simply by searching Facebook for those groups, um, put in a town, a surname, a place, and then put genealogy with it, there will just hundreds will start to appear on your feed.
0: Exactly. And I know that some of them will say you have to join them. And I know for some people, they worry, oh my gosh, what if they don't accept me? Tell us how that works, joining groups. Right.
3: Well, um, groups can either be public or they can be a closed group. So a public group, if you see a group and it says public next to it, all you have to do is click the button and you become an instantaneous member of that group. And you can go out there and you can post and you can read and you find things on your feed. Now, if you find one that says a closed group, basically a lot of these genealogy groups are closed and you have to request membership because they want to make sure that you're a real person. We all know that there are spammers and fake profiles and stuff out there. So it's a way that the administrators of the group just want to make sure you're a living, breathing human before they (laughs) accept your (laughs) request to join the group. But it's really easy. Most of them, um, when I click the join, I know within 24 hours, some of them will send me an email saying, hi, I noticed you want to join. You know, what is your interest? And as long as I reply, I'm in. So it's not that big of a deal.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, you were talking about ethnicities and, and locations. Um, also, I think in areas like technology, if there's a particular software program that oh, yeah, you're using, um, there's so many, every area, like you said, of genealogy, everything that our hands touch, it seems like there's a group. And it's a great place to get people who have potentially specific answers. So in a way, you're narrowing down that huge Facebook pool. How about how much information we should share and how could Facebook use that to actually help us with genealogy?
3: Well, obviously, um, a lot of people are concerned with identity theft and privacy issues and people should be aware and concerned about those things. On Facebook and other social media groups, it's always important. One, you should follow, you know, standard genealogical procedures, I like to think. You know, try not to share too much about living in for people, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and about yourself, it's very, it could be interesting because, you know, you can put in your um, Facebook profile that you're a genealogist and people might find you that way. Um, or be more comfortable with you. But you can also, you know possibly find more living relatives and living relations through the search features on that Facebook page. Things like you know somebody is from a certain area and they have a surname, you could very easily find them and write them a private message, get to know them a little bit better, see if they are a distant cousin of some sort.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You can search for people. And I have found, you know, based on the kind of information that I've put into my profile, which isn't extensive as far as personal stuff, it still manages to send me a message saying, hey, do you know this person? Do you want to friend them? And it's a cousin. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Isn't that wild? Right. I've had that happen to me. And a funny story is I write a blog also and a woman found me on my blog and she found me on Facebook and I don't have the two of them connected. So she obviously did some detective work on her own. Yes. And she uh, is related to me. She's a third cousin through my mother's side of the family who only lives about 40 miles from me. And I don't live in Indiana anymore. So I live on the other side of the country. And a <laughs> woman who is a third cousin who found me on Facebook and asked to connect and wrote me this nice long story and explained to me in the message how we were related so that I knew she wasn't a crazy person. <laughs>
0: Oh, that's that's a great story. And you know, that is actually another byproduct, I think, of being on Facebook. When you have a profile, you obviously show, hey, I'm into family history and these things. Um, you can elect which elements of your profile are public. That way, if somebody does come across your blog or posting on a message forum, like an Ancestry, that they, they're going to go check you out on Facebook. So it's almost like putting a little public profile to say, you know, hey, I'm okay. And, and I am into family history. Contact me. So I think that's a, a big benefit. Because you're right. The genealogists out there will do their homework.
3: That's right. And for me, I put a little bit more, especially about the different places I've lived. Because you can make that public or private. But I was an army brat. So since we moved around a lot, I have friends that I've made, you know, my entire life from different places I lived, and I wanted to make sure that I had my hometown and a couple different places listed. So that was one of the ways she was able to narrow it down. But you don't have to put that much information. But anything you use, genealogists will find you.
0: <laughs> it's so true. And we are in control. So you, you, nobody's uh, twisting your arm behind your back to say you have to make this public. Uh, you can select each of those items and, and make that decision all great tips. Wow. Quick ways to right away, start using Facebook for genealogy. And if you want to learn more, you know, Facebook is just one of many social media websites out there and and networks. Shannon Combs Bennett has a video. It's called Jumpstart Your Genealogy and Social Media. It's in the Shop Family Tree store. We'll have a link to it in the show notes. And Shannon, tell us about your blog and how to find it.
3: Oh, okay. So I write uh, Trials and Tribulations of a Self-Taught Family Historian. Uh, it's on it's at TNT family history at uh, blogspot.com and i've been writing it for a while some people may have recognized my name cuz i was a former family tree first blogger for family tree magazine and family tree university yeah and um, i've continued with my blog and my research and yeah go check it out i write about everything i find um interesting articles i read books i find it's a lot a little bit of everything out there
0: Sounds great. Thank you so much, Shannon. You're welcome. FamilySearch is the leading free genealogy website. And in this episode, Tyler Moss, the Dean of Family Tree University, is here to give us a crash course on becoming a FamilySearch power user. Hi, Tyler.
4: Hi, Lisa. Thanks for having me.
0: You know, I love the FamilySearch.org website because it seems like it's just growing every day with tons of new records. So I'd love to have you give us some tips because I know there at Family Tree University, you have the familysearch.org power user course. Do you have some tips you can share from the class?
4: That's right. And it's funny that you mention how many records FamilySearch is constantly updating with because this is amazing because we have all these new records to explore. But at the same time, that just adds that many more results to your search results, right? It makes it harder to find the people we're looking for.
0: Exactly.
4: Yeah. And so the tip I want to share today from the course actually is um, dialing down your your search results, kind of narrowing um, what you're pulling up when you're searching for your ancestors and honing in more on um, the specific ancestor information you're looking for by going straight to specific collections. Um, And this is actually something that's pretty easily accessible but often overlooked, I think, by people. You simply just go to the main search page, and instead of, you know, typing in, you know, your typical information, last name, first name, birth date, all that kind of stuff, just click on the Browse All Published Collections link on the right side of the page right under the map, and this will take you to just a huge list of all the different historical record collections that FamilySearch has. And these can be filtered by everything from uh, country to state to date and record type. And even just by scrolling through, you know, you'll find the most specific records you, I mean, you might not even realize are there. Everything from, I'm looking at the list right now, Alabama County marriages, Alabama Freedmen's Bureau field office records, all that kind of thing. And you can even um, filter these by when they were last updated, so you can make sure you're looking at the most recently updated records. It's just kind of a cool trick that really can help you focus in on the ancestor you're looking for.
0: Ooh, I like that. And I particularly like that you can filter by the date because, as we were talking about, you know, it seems like every couple of days I see a, a press release about new records coming online, and and you know that you've already been through a lot of them, so that just brings you right to the newest stuff. I love that.
4: Exactly. And one of the other cool things that I like about this is that you can search specific um federal census records individually instead of, you know, just doing your broad search and then trying to narrow, you know, census records from there, you can go and look straight up um, each individual census, 1790, 1800, 1810, and look within that one census collection. And it really kind of helps narrow things.
0: Right. So rather than starting with a global search, we're actually targeting the collection and then we're doing our search. So boy, that, that, yeah, it gets a lot of stuff right out of your way. Hey, those are great tips. I will have those uh, outlined for you guys in the show notes for this episode. And of course, if you want to learn more about how to become a familysearch.org power user, there is a class over at Family Tree University. So uh, just head to familytreeuniversity.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Tyler. We appreciate it. Thank you. As we wrap up this February episode devoted to online genealogy hints and hacks, we've got to stop by the publisher's desk because I know Allison Dolan will definitely have some of those for us. Hi, Allison. Hi, Lisa. You know, we picked up a lot of great tips in this episode, but I know that you spend a lot of your time on the computer and on the web and... Since you're probably one of the most efficient people I know, um, I would love to know some of your favorite shortcuts. Do you care to share some of your uh, browsing secrets?
2: I would love to share some of my secrets. In fact, I'm a little bit of a geek when it comes to shortcuts. Um, I'm the type of person who really doesn't believe in using the menus of my software or my browser. I try (laughs) to do everything with a keyboard shortcut. So um, there are a few really, really handy shortcuts that I'm surprised a lot of people don't know about them. So I wanted to share those today. Well, the first thing is I think a lot of people know um, some of the basic like Microsoft keyboard shortcuts. For example, you can do a control... P for print or Control-C for copy or Control-S for save. Um, Those are pretty standard across lots of programs. But there are some that I use um, that really increase my efficiency. One thing that I like to do is sometimes, you know, maybe I'm looking at a, a genealogy query that has text in all capital letters, and I want to take that snippet of text and capture it either in an Evernote note or Microsoft Word document. Well, in a Microsoft document, you can actually highlight that text and do control and the F3 button, and it will actually take it all to lowercase or take it all to uppercase, which is really handy when you're dealing with text that you want to either change to one case or the other. So I like that tip.
0: Oh, so when the when it's all in caps, it doesn't look like it's screaming at you.
2: Exactly (laughs) right. And sometimes if you're taking something that you've already typed and you want to put it into all caps quickly because maybe you want to make it a title Mm -hmm. or um, a heading for something that you're working on, it it works in reverse, too. That's really handy. Oh, great. And I think my favorite shortcut of all in just about all of the programs that I work in um, is undo, control Z, that gets me out of a jam more times than I can count. And that's Z like zebra, right? Control Z? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. And I should mention, too, that most of these shortcuts work on Macs and Windows. It's just that on the Mac keyboard, there's a command button um, instead of a control button. So you can sort of switch those interchangeably for the most part, and you'll end up with the same shortcut.
0: Right. And, you know, you and I were talking about that sometimes you get to a website and the text can seem a little bit small. And you don't have to ask the website programmer to change that. You can do it yourself, right?
2: Yes, this is so handy. I find that I use this a lot because, um, you know, different websites have different appearances and text. And sometimes, depending on what screen I'm looking at, um You know, I may need to enlarge it or shrink it down even sometimes. Well, you can do that um by simply doing control plus to make the text bigger and control minus to make the text smaller. And in fact, this actually works with images too, I found. So, you know, when I'm looking at images that we're maybe going to put up On our website, I can use that shortcut when I open it up in my browser to say, here's what it's going to look like in the little tiny size on our store, and here's what it's going to look like when somebody goes to the detail page to look at more of the information.
0: Oh, that's a great tip. And, you know, you can do it multiple times. It's not just the one or the other. I mean, I'll do that control plus, and I'll really tap, 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 tap it until it really zooms in. And I love the fact that you can do control zero, and it will go right back, to the original default. You don't have to back your way out of it. I love that.
2: Yes, that's super handy and definitely a shortcut. And how about
0: Ancestry? Because we all spend a lot of time on sites like Ancestry. Any shortcuts you can use there?
2: Yeah, um, a lot of people don't know that Ancestry.com actually has some hotkeys, they call them, that you can use when you're doing a search. Um, I think the most useful ones are instead of actually going and starting a search over or Clicking the link to change your search, you can do this in one keystroke. To refine your search, you do a capital R. And to start your search over or do a new search, you do a capital N. And it's just that one quick keystroke. And um, instead of having to make multiple clicks to start over. So, um, you know, maybe it doesn't save a ton of time, but I find, like you said, I'm trying to be as efficient as possible. And every second counts in my (laughs) work day when I'm trying to be as productive as possible. And I know that everyone who's listening wants to be as efficient as possible in their, um, online searching too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I think it's it's one of those things where by themselves it doesn't seem to make much difference. But if you actually adopt a handful of these these things you're doing all the time, you can really shave a lot of that um, surfing time off and get more into the research time. And in fact, I've put together uh, a guide. It's called Evernote for Genealogists, and we have it for Windows and for Mac. It's in Shop Family Tree at ShopFamilyTree.com. And these are um, downloadable PDF guides that are four pages long, not only give you all the steps on how to use Evernote, but they are chock full of hotkeys because I love them too. And and there are some that are very unique to Evernote. So if you're an Evernote user, um, you might want to go check that out. We're going to have all of these hotkeys and um, quick key selections in our show notes that Allison's been talking about, and of course a link so that you can grab that Evernote guide if you want to get a little more efficient with Evernote. Allison, this is great. We'll get everybody to be much more efficient. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lisa. Thanks so much for joining me for this February 2015 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast. It's the monthly show from America's number one genealogy magazine. Here are a couple of action items for you until we meet here again next month. First, be sure and check out the March April 2015 issue of Family Tree magazine. It's the one devoted to your genealogy research online. You will find it in print and digital downloads at shopfamilytree.com. And then head on over to Family Tree University to check out that Become a FamilySearch.org Power User course because we all want to get the most out of that amazing free family history website. And finally, Go to com slash podcast to find the show notes for this episode. Those will include everything, including our top tips, websites, and Facebook strategies. Thanks again for joining me today. I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and I invite you to visit me at my website, genealogygems.com, where you can listen to my free podcast, the Genealogy Gems Podcast. And that's also available free through iTunes and through the Genealogy Gems app. Until next time, have fun climbing your family tree.